Hello, everybody. Welcome on the Lights on Data Show. Today, we're going to talk about direct mail. Yes, you heard me right. Direct mail. It's not the dinosaur that you thought it was. So today, Dave Fink here, the founder and CEO of Posty, really thinks that the best kept secret in marketing is hiding where you least expect it in your mailbox. Dave, welcome on the show. Thanks for having me. One of my favorite topics. <laughs> Mine as well. I'm really curious to learn more about the data behind your mail and how really is proving to be a success for so many companies. You have over 20 plus years of experience in your career. You've generated hundreds of millions of dollars in ad revenue. You powered viral sensations like the Dollar Shave Club. And I love the Dollar Shave Club. I think their ads are just fantastic, by the way. You've helped to launch celebrity startups for Jessica Simpson, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, Kate Bosworth, just to name a few. And now as the founder and CEO of Posty, you're out to reinvent direct mail marketing for the digital world. That's right. The, the, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating um, to, to hear you kind of list out all, all the different businesses and chapters of, of my career. Uh, it has been it has been a few years at, the, at this point, which is um, sometimes exciting, sometimes depressing to think about um, getting <laughs> older. But I've been super fortunate, and uh, I, you know, I started my career in, in the, the very late '90s, kind of the age of coming online, and you know, lived through the 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 excitement around you know, as a marketer, being able to leverage data, direct relationships with consumers. Um, insights in order to get smarter, to understand, you know, what was you know, driving our business, what mm -hmm. wasn't driving our business, allowed us to, to kind of move into this test and optim optimization world, starting with hypotheses, putting things out in the world, capturing, you know, measurement, leveraging analytics and data visualization. And, and for, you know, the first decade and a half, almost two decades of, of my career, that the, there was maybe even a little bit of arrogance around this idea of, of it's the internet. This is the, you know, it's, it's all digital. Digital is what gives us, you know, the ability to access data, to build predictive, um, you know, modeling into all of our media spend and, and growth budgets. And, and, you know, that is true. Um, there's no question that having that direct to consumer relationship and the digital pipe set up allows us to capture data. Uh, you know, the invention of you know machine learning, acceleration of it that we've seen over the last decade allows us to you know, process data very quickly. Um, you know, ask deep, meaningful questions and get responses um, very quickly. But what what I also lived through, and, and Dollar Shave Club was a perfect you know kind of time period that was roughly 2011 through 2016 or so um, from, you know, launch to billion dollar acquisition, you know, that, you know, you know Dollar Shaper came online, you know, at the very beginning of, of Facebook and YouTube's run up to fame. You yeah. know, there certainly were big channels and big user bases, but the, the sophistication of their advertising tools, marketing tools were, were limited and then became very sophisticated and became very performant. And then those channels became very saturated. And so ad rates, you know, started going, you know, up and up and up and up and, and the ceiling of what you could do and rely on those channels for started coming down and down and down and down. Mm -hmm. And, and that was kind of the path that led us to direct mail, which was 
this idea of, okay, we've learned a lot over the last 20 years how to you know, tell stories, how to leverage test optimization, media strategies, how to leverage data um, and, um, and just you know, migrate more into a quantitative world of marketing. We, that, that, you know, the ad rates and the costs are driving our you know, unit economics out of whack and sourcing new customers and compared to lifetime value. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about what are the next channels that we can apply these, these data-driven yeah. practice, you know, practice yeah. um, uh, principles. Um, and, and, and it's not just the in, saturation, right, of, of those channels themselves, but also uh, the new data privacy uh, that, that comes into play and has an impact. Like we've definitely seen it with, with um, GDPR, of course, and everything that's related to that, but also with uh, Facebook and how uh, when, when um, the Apple iOS had the update and um, it could, could not really allow the same traction for Facebook as a, as a result. And that really uh, maybe it was the beginning of maybe the end. We'll see how that's going to go for Facebook. We're seeing with Twitter now that's dropping well for different reasons, but still we're, we're seeing uh, different external challenges that are impacting these channels too. No, it's it's true. That, I mean, there's so many ways to go with this conversation. You know, cross device. Um, you know, uh, was a huge advantage that Facebook had for you know and Google as well for mm-hmm. um, you know a number of years. And and um, and you know and, and now there's this battle between Google and Facebook and mm-hmm. control of user data, identity, and whatnot. That is that that we saw kind of the first maybe just the head poking up on, on what the world could look like from a performance perspective. You know, if Google does deprecate the cookie as they've been threatening or when they do, we saw that in iOS 14's rollout, just kind of how cr- losing the ability to bring data across device um, affects performance. And, and we had m- many advertisers whose Facebook budget went to zero overnight. Mm-hmm. And not because they still couldn't advertise, but because they were so reliant on on. Facebook's algorithms, their lookalike models, being able to retarget cross device and and feel confident in the performance because of measurement. And that that disappeared. And then they were able to kind of work their way back in. But um, but but we had clients that that you know picked the phone on, on that first Monday and called us absolutely freaked out. Yep. Multi-million dollar month media budgets just disappeared. Yep. And 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 but but so, so you're right. Um, and you know, kind of to rewind a, a little bit and, and, you know, talk about how we end up in direct mail. We, we end up in direct mail just because we were looking for other digital channels that were big and scalable and that could offset some of the, the lost potential of, of Facebook when it, when the first problem was just, you know, supply and demand, it was just oversaturation. And, and we didn't, we couldn't find anything, quite frankly, you, know, um, you mentioned some of these platforms earlier, but Snapchat, you know, was a, a, uh, a thing, but didn't have an ads platform at that time. TikTok was still dance bite. It, it didn't even exist. Uh, Twitter was never really a great ads pro- you know, platform for mm-hmm. kind of the general advertiser, certainly for consumer advertising. And, um, and so we started looking for channels that could, you know, could leverage data, mm-hmm. had big scale and reach, had the ability to run clean measurement, all those, those, you know, tenants that, that we needed and and came to rely on digital and direct mail has has all those same capabilities. It just didn't have a bunch of software and and so I think all of a sudden you layer software and automation, um, at, you know, on top of a channel that's already scalable has a ton of um, consumer data that can be used for 
prediction and modeling and optimization and, and you close the loop on real-time measurement, doesn't look any different than programmatic or social or search. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's great to hear about the last part, the, uh, its relation to data, because I feel so many companies, when they're doing direct mail, the way they do it is, okay, we, we know there's so many households within this area. We're going to send everybody a pamphlet. We're going to send everybody a catalog. You know, I'm, I'm getting the Home Depot catalogs. And everybody, each one of my neighbors is also getting it. They're probably, you know, getting some some traction there. But it's sort of like trying to, I don't know, hit a rock at a lake and see what hits. <laughs> sort of, a, it's not really directed. It's not really based on data, right? It's not. It's not customizable to the needs of that potential consumer. So, what? How? How would that be different then? When when we add data into the mix? Sure. Well, we'll think about like the early and mid two thousands in in digital, you know, display advertising. Certainly before Facebook, you know, look alike you know, models rolled out. The, the way advertising was bought was, you know, through RFPs and, and, you know, and buying, you know, buying 350, you know, ads above, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. above the fold or three pages deep or mm-hmm. run of site or run a network. I mean, that's, you know, those, we were signing these insertion orders and we were buying media very similar to how we were buying TV. It was, this general demographic engages with Yahoo or weather.com or AOL or Washington post. And, you know, this is where CPM is. And this is, you know, what we'll throw in for free. If you make this commitment to premium placements and, and it was, it really was run a network and you were buying based on, you know, um, you know, overarching demographics, maybe done through survey data and whatnot. You know, when you move to you know, programmatic and then eventually, you know, social, the type of data that was being shared with platforms like Facebook and Google, in particular, getting, you know, um, you know conversion tracking all over the web and being able to, to bring in transaction level data on the specific SKU even, certainly the retailer or e-tailer that, that that purchase is taking place on. All of a sudden you have these big, you know, you know these, these tremendous data lakes and now all of a sudden it's one-to-one marketing, right? Mm-hmm. It's addressable marketing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that I'm looking to, to target, you know, uh, you know, females in you know, in, in suburban America between, you know, the ages of 18 and you know, 39 who are making 50 to $90,000 a year. Like that's how it, TV was bought. That's how digital used to be bought. All the programmatic capabilities allowed us to start, using our first party data to build models on these platforms so that we're targeting people that look most similar to high lifetime value customers, high AV customers, et cetera. And that unlocked a different level of performance. I mean, I think that's the, the, one of the, one of the two biggest reasons why we saw just the explosion of consumer brands over the last decade is because it was, it was possible to go and scale a business, you know, in, you know, 10 times faster than it ever was before because we could be addressable in our media and we could push big scale. The other, I think is, is social content and brand, you know, development and storytelling. We we can do that on a different podcast. Um, So with, you know, our aim at at Posty is, is unlocking those same addressable capabilities. So instead of, you know, canvassing specific neighborhoods based on general demographics or going and sourcing lists, like, 
direct mail used to be done. You know, you'd go and buy a publisher's list and, you know, whoever's on the list, you, know, you paid a mail and they you figured they had a general demographic. It was better homes and garden magazine subscriber list, like chant and your mm-hmm. Home Depot, like probably a decent fit to advertise, mm-hmm. you know, landscaping, you know, items and, and whatnot. Um, and, 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 you know, that type of advertising, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit more spray and pray, but direct mail, because you're targeting individuals living in specific households where there is that third party data available, just as deep as you can access on Facebook and Google transaction level data, makeup of household, occupation, demographic, interest, psychosocial, all that data exists. Why not put that to work for you? And how do you put that to work by leveraging machine learning and using your first party data and what you've worked so hard to build and know about your consumer segments in order to make better decisions on where to allocate budget, how to talk Mm -hmm. and communicate with those individuals based on the likely interest in your brand. And Mm -hmm. so that, that's what, that's how, you know, what what we do day in, day out. It's, It's about marketing objective. It's about understanding your cut your existing customers it's it's about how you enable addressable strategies to go out and expand um your marketing to reach more individuals that that look like those high yielding customers and how do you talk to them effectively so so you work with companies to first maybe leverage their uh, own crm and database to better target their existing customers that's one but also for them to increase their reach and just gather uh, more prospects, more customers too. That's right. You know, d- direct mail is a channel that works full funnel. So, mm-hmm. you know, we think about the funnel as, as three core steps, right? There's top of funnel acquisition and prospecting and, and you have net new customers. There's, you know, the bottom of, of the funnel, which is CRM. It could be lapsed customer re-engagement or expanding lifetime value, increasing, um, you know, frequency, decreasing interval between purchase. Um, and then there's that mid funnel stuff, right. That, that we, I think in digital, you know, kind of lump all together as retargeting, but it's really programmatic. It's, it's, we've worked so hard to build this direct relationship with consumers on our website, our mobile Mm -hmm. app, and we're capturing insights into how they're behaving with content, product pages, video, et cetera. Um, you know, let's, let's figure out how to unlock the value of all of that knowledge. And so exactly as you just said, with, with. CRM, you have this data already. Let's figure out ways to, you know, to grow our businesses most efficiently. And the number one way to do that is by driving, um, you know, stronger communication to affect the way that existing customers engage mm-hmm. with our, our brands. You know, it's, you know, move our way up final and say, hey, we spent all this time and energy building out these, these you know, digital assets. We're capturing data on every single session how do we put that data to work to maximize the conversion from someone that we've worked to drive some right. awareness on? Right. Um, and then the top of funnel is that's the hard one. That's there's this whole world out there. How do we make budget decisions and messaging decisions based on what we know about, you know, the type of customers that we think will um, be most responsive. And if they do convert behave most similarly to existing segments and we have all that data already. So why mm-hmm. not leverage that in a predictive way? Well, let's talk a couple of examples. So at the top of the funnel, I know one of the examples I was, I was reading on, uh, one of the clients you worked with is this Italian restaurant chain, uh, Buca di Beppo. Buca di Beppo, yeah. Buca di Beppo. And it, it's gained 20,000 new customers over a three-month period with the help of Posty. 
That's huge. Incredible. And, and look, and the reason that they were able to leverage direct mail is because they did a lot of other core marketing things, right? You know, mm -hmm. Starting with data collection, right? So they're, so they're a retailer. They don't have the same advantage as an e-tailer does where every conversion is taking place on a website. All that data is immediately identity data is going directly into a database. And they know a little bit about every single customer that, that you, know, um, you know, engages with their brand. You know, a typical retailer or restaurant um, doesn't necessarily capture that data if they're not actively thinking about how to do so. Um, and and the, the most direct path that, that both retailers and um, restaurants are, are kind of leveraging to, to close the loop on data is, is, is VIP loyalty or rewards programs. So it's, it's offering something in exchange for sharing information about who they are so that you can tailor the experience, the messaging, the follow-up, the communication um, uh, to, to provide more value the, to, the, to the customer and, and make your marketing more effective. And so it starts with having those data pipes and being right. able to close loop on transaction. And so, you know, a brand like, you know, um, you know, like Buka um, has a big rewards program. And so when we started engaging with them, we got excited right out of the gate when we looked at kind of the, the wealth of data that they had access to, mm -hmm. and we could start mapping that to specific use cases in, in direct mail. I think it was, it, we just kind of like, we, we started geeking out together and then, you know, all of a sudden next thing you know, there's 14 ideas on a whiteboard and, uh, and you start thinking about the, the channel differently than, than maybe, you know, engaging with a, a traditional printer and, and thinking in terms of paper and sourcing a list and treating everyone in your database right. the exact same way. Like, let's actually, let's actually go deep down that marketing strategy rabbit hole and think about what we're trying to accomplish. And then let's come up with the set of strategies that we think, you know, we should start um, testing Mm -hmm. Let's capture results from it. Let's see where we were right and where we were wrong. And then let's make better decisions a couple of weeks later. And it's rinse and repeat for weeks and months and years. That drives scale. That drives efficiency. Awesome. Well, let's let's uh, bring another example. And that this is for a company that um, had a CRM cross-selling campaign. And I'm talking about MeUndies. And with them, they've seen over a 1,000% return on advertisement spent. That's again incredible. Yeah, you know, um, direct consumer brands um, have a distinct advantage in that every transaction is is a measurable uh, action, right? And so when you think about the just the the knowledge that even a small D 2 C brand, a nascent D 2 C brand, someone that's been in business for three, four years, two, two, three years, even mm -hmm. um, has on their customer. It's it's based. It's such a um, it's such an advantage over the way that businesses used to be built, where it was just you were hoping someone would walk by your store because you your real estate was in a good location. They'd come in and then you rely on the salesperson to build a relationship and try and you know um, close close a, tr a transaction. Um, with, you know, with MeUndies, uh, by the time they started thinking about expanding outside of channels like Facebook and search and email, they had a, they were sitting in a treasure trove of data. They were sitting on consumer base that was, you know, that was built around brand loyalists and, 
um, engagement driven by influencer marketing and in-world awareness, you know, things that, that, that build that emotional connection, that motor on their brand. So when they started thinking about how do we, you know, how do we leverage that data in order to increase profitability, the natural place to look is saying, hey, we're sitting on consumer data. These individuals have already tried our product. They have a very premium product. It's not the most inexpensive, um, you know, under underwear, but it's extraordinarily high quality. Um, and the every incremental transaction that they drive gives them the opportunity to to to, dr to drive profitability. When you mm -hmm. when you have to, you know, um, you, you're a business that scales based on just pure new customer acquisition. That gets expensive fast, but when you start building retention and you start training consumer behavior, um, you have something magical happens. And um, I can't remember the, the the I think it was a food one of the food on demand food delivery brands that we worked with. They they had this term they called the magic moment, and they had found out that I, I may be not getting the exact facts right, but the general concept is there, which is that I think it was three to one, if they can get a third transaction within a set number of months from every um, new customer, that magic moment takes place and the lifetime value of that customer increases tremendously. Mm -hmm. So for them, like, and, and Meandy's no different, that the, the, the question that becomes like, well, what are all the tools in our tool belt that we could leverage efficiently in order to engage our existing customers and drive towards that magic moment, drive that repeat purchase, drive that upsell purchase, get them to become a brand loyal. So when they think about, in this case, purchasing you know, underwear, they're thinking about MeUndies. They're not thinking about going and starting their search at the very beginning and typing into Google search or right. they asking chat GPT for, you know, what underwear to buy. <laughs> I wonder, and I guess it depends maybe on the company, the brand and what they're trying to sell, but um, would you say that maybe they want to have a, a first direct impact via mail, the traditional direct marketing technique, and but then try and convert that customer or potential customer towards more of a digital communication so they would spend a little bit less on their acquisition or their retention? I, I think that you have to um, engage in Omnichannel from as early a, a period as possible. Mm -hmm. And you have to do it for a couple of reasons. You know, one, because I don't think there's this one size fits all holy grail of marketing where if I just do this, it'll always work. Right. Two, we know that, that things changed um, the way that consumers, you know, behave changed for a while. We thought Facebook was infallible. We thought Google was infallible. I think we're in this really interesting place where, um, we're seeing, you know, these super, you know, human platforms, you know, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, who was, you know, the wonderkin for, you know, a decade and a half. And we thought just Facebook was never going to go away. Like, the, like mm -hmm. these companies are wounded. There's no guarantee mm -hmm. that Facebook's not the next AOL, the next MySpace, et cetera. And there's no guarantee that Google, you know, you know, remains dominant forever and ever. We'll see what happens with some of the, this, you know, AI natural language um, you know, uh, you know, engagement that, that open IO or, or um, open AI is, um, is, is kind of teaching us maybe the future and how we engage with, with our laptops and websites and whatnot and, and databases. Um, you have to constantly out there testing and developing expertise through multiple channels and you have to be you know, aware of, of the various channels, um, that your consumers are engaging with. Right. And, they own, you know, everyone that lives in a house, an apartment, a uh, townhouse has a mailbox. Mm -hmm. 
And the experience of engaging with something tangible is still very valuable. Some people choose to read on Kindle. Some people choose to you know, order from Amazon or go to a local bookstore. And, um, and those that are really into consuming content do all three. Mm-hmm. And so they're learning everywhere. They're engaging with brands everywhere. Mm-hmm. Billboards still work. Linear TV still works. Addressable TV works. You know, traditional out of home, digital out of home works. The key is how do you how do you figure out how to allocate budget in the most effective way? And depending on your brand, the category, the average order value, where you are in your your brand awareness cycle, will oftentimes determine a lot of where that spend should go. But um, to answer your question directly, uh, I, I just you know we've seen that including direct mail into your marketing mix drives incrementality across the board. So I don't think it's a game of, you know, use direct mail just as an acquisition tool and then use, you know, rely solely on email. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. just don't think that's the winning recipe. Similarly, I don't think, you know, you rely just on Facebook for acquisition and then move to direct mail for retention. I think it's got to be a mix. Yeah. So there's no denying, I think, that COVID you know, has an impact, had an impact on how we now work and play and and live and shop undeniably. Um, I, I remember at least during the lockdowns, we were starting to get more and more mail at one point. And at least towards the end of the stretch. And we were happy. We were happy to actually receive a physical piece of paper that we could open and go through and like, oh my God, okay, it's something more tangible. I'm sick of all this digital interaction that we we kept on having. Did posting notice a change maybe in, in that demand and the response from the customer as well from getting the direct mail? It's a fair question. I I I I think it was very vertical dependent and I don't know that we thought about it um, so much as um, direct mail as a channel is becoming more effective than before. I mean, we just always seen it as a highly effective, highly efficient channel um, when executed correctly. What we did see is that there were certain verticals that just exploded and almost didn't need marketing, right? When you think about, um, you know, if you, if you were a retailer that sold toilet paper, you didn't need to advertise very much, right? For a while there, it, mm-hmm. you know, you were doing just fine. And we saw that with meal delivery companies. We saw that with, um, you know, produce delivery companies with, um, you know, the on-demand marketplaces, like they, 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 pulled back their marketing spend because they just didn't need to, and they need to put more budget into scaling operations at that point and being able to, you know, play the role of, of hero, which they did very well. Um, similarly, I think what caught everybody off guard um, was that um, consumer demand didn't disappear there. It, it, we were in such a hot economy and there was so much stimulus money being flooded into the market that while certainly you know there were there were segments and I'm sure through the world population that that suffered more than than others, um, you know consumer spending in general went up. They, mm-hmm. it, it maybe pulled back in in categories such as travel, you know hotels, airfare, etc. And then all of a sudden that budget got reallocated in just about every product category you could imagine. And so there was a bit of a land grab, and and for a while it was 
you know, any category, you know, and any opportunity to acquire customers and compete with your competitors was, was, you know, there was a path to positive ROI. And we saw that in direct mail, but all, you know, Facebook ad rates or or, um, ad spend rose and Google ad spend rose and email volume rose just because there was this tremendous consumer spending land grab because there was the, the dollars were flowing. Right. What, what about the data quality around contact data? I know a lot of companies that are doing direct marketing, they're relying on external companies to clean their customer data, standardize it, make sure they're going to get a lower rate as a result from USPS, kind of post whatever country you're, uh, you're, you're in to deliver your mail. Would, would Posty recommend for the customer to clean their data? Would Posty help them with that? to make sure that the, um, the return rate is very low, the open rate is very high? Yeah, great question. And I think in, in the you know, pre-posty you know, era of direct mail, like those were things that were always like sold as upsells and it's called CAS certification or you know, kind of scrubbing data against the National Change of Address database mm-hmm. and some of those, those best practices built into what we do so yeah um yeah the idea j- just like with digital the the good platforms are are behaving nobly and working hard to um, ensure data cleanliness um and you know in our world that you have to tell the u.s postal service a clean address or something doesn't get delivered and in our world we actually get fined our you know rates um and um you know uh, you know go up and then we get penalties so we're um, fully aligned with the with you know with the advertiser to ensure the data is clean on the other hand it's it's also or, um, all measurable and so um you know ensuring that we're getting you know a hundred percent deliverability and the data is as clean as could be just drives performance. And so more likely for an advertiser to see positive results and want to continue investing in the channel. So with regards to um, data hygiene, it's, it's, yeah, um, it's a requirement for us postal service. There's really nowhere to hide. You know, we don't charge for it just kind of all in the day's day's work, right? The platform, um, you know, uh, onboards, um, you know, unclean data cleans it, um, makes it available to, um, you know, leverage through direct mail campaigns, cleans it again before it goes on out the back end, and um, just not something that anybody has to think about anymore. Well, it's very nice of you because a lot of companies also charge for this uh, extra for sure. step. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Dave, any any last words? Do you think direct mail is here to stay? Um, it sure. Uh, I sure hope so. Uh, not just for our business, but advertising is really hard. Yeah. Marco's job is just a, a sea of stress and anxiety. And, you know, whether you're a Facebook ad buyer that's, you know, hitting refresh a thousand times a day, hoping that your ads, um, you know, performing the way that you expect it to, or whether you're an email marketer and trying to, um, you know, execute very complex, robust segmentation strategies, it's, it, there's just never been more pressure um, on, on the marketer. And there's, you know, there's no shortage of tools and, and channels and, and I think you know, CEOs, executive teams and boards expect marketers to be superhuman these days. Direct mail is a, is a, yeah, is a high quality channel, it's a highly performant channel with you know, some of the innovation tools like Posty out there. It's now become you know, much, much easier to execute. And I think any tool that we can put in the hand of a marketer to help them drive performance and do so efficiently and help them scale when they find what works 
is really important. And so, yeah, we're, our, our bet is that a channel like direct mail that it is performant will be around um, for a long time, if not forever. Look, it's Absolutely. written in the U.S. Constitution right now. So mail will get delivered. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I encourage everybody to follow you on LinkedIn. And of course, check out posted.com to see how it can meet your own advertising needs. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.